Hey, morning. Good to see you. If I don't know you, uh, if you are new, it is so, so good uh, that you are here today. And uh, one thing about us is we take Scripture, we take the Word of God really, really seriously. And every single time we gather, without fail, you're going to hear us read from it. And in the next few minutes, you're going to hear me do my best uh, with God's help to open this these verses that we might understand what they mean and know what God wants us to do about it today. So would you join me? We're going to read straight away from Hebrews chapter 3, just the first six verses, and miraculously, I'm going to turn this into, you know, six verses into quite a long message. I'll do it every week. I'm really good at it. Okay. Let's read together. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if, if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we build. We're going to park on that verse a little bit later on. If we hold to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Father, we want to thank you so much for Scripture. God, we want to build our lives upon it. We thank you for truth. Let it be like a light to our path. Let it be like to a, a lamp to our feet. God, we pray by your Spirit, would you, would, would you make these words come alive before us today, that we as your people, that we as, we as a community um, would know what it is you want us to do today. Thank you, Lord God, that none of us is quite like you yet, but you're doing that work in us and through us. And we pray, God, that you'd show every single one of us Uh, the step that we need to take today. Not one of us, me included, stands above this word. But God, we come underneath it. We humble ourselves before your word today. We say, would you teach us? Would you lead us? Would you change us? In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Show me your awake. Come on, give me a big amen. Amen. Unless unless you didn't agree with what I've just prayed. (laughs) In which case, you're at one. I love adventure. Anybody love adventure? Yeah, I love adventure. I love getting outdoors, exploring new places, new things. Uh, and New Zealand is one of those incredible countries to explore and just to go off. Like I love chucking the tent in the boot, surfboards or a kayak on the roof and just heading to the coast with the family. Love it, love it, love it. And, and inevitably, adventure in the UK, in New Zealand, whoa, Adventure in New Zealand means like the glorious roadie, you know? It means a tiki tour, doesn't it? It means we get out and we go from place to place and we just go exploring. And one of the things I always say to my girls whenever we talk about adventure, whenever we talk about exploring is it wouldn't be adventure if things didn't sometimes go wrong, okay? If there wasn't a risk that things go wrong, then then it wouldn't be adventure. And inevitably, things sometimes go wrong. And one time we were uh, on a road trip we were coming back from the, from the mount, and, and we're driving along through sort of Rota, Rota, Rota Vegas, whatever you want to call it, and, and I noticed as we sort of accelerate up some of those hills, there's a bit of a glitch, you know, as we start to accelerate, suddenly power sort of just disappears for a moment, then comes back, and we're like, oh, this is a bit weird. This is like Rotorua, like we're miles away from home. 
And by the time we get to Topol, we're thinking, is there a garage around here? Can we get this car checked out? Like, I know I can drive them, but I really, I'm no use as a mechanic. And, and so we're thinking, oh, let's just, let's just try and nurse this car home. Well, we get to Tai Happy, and you know those giant hills that come out of Tai Happy? We stop, like, three quarters of the way up. Like, literally, car cuts out. So, like, Jenny, Jenny's driving at that point. I'm not saying that was the reason, but just Jenny was driving at that moment. And they would just stop, put the handbrake on, and we're like, what do we do now? Okay, let's pray. God, we just pray for this car. We repent of buying a European car in New Zealand. Like, we, we didn't know better. Lord, teach us and, and just heal this car. And so turn the ignition, and, and the car starts again, and it starts going up this hill. We're like, okay, this is cool. But the problem isn't fixed, okay? And, and so we, we keep going, and, and we're thinking, we're getting nervous about any red light, any roundabout where there's a little bit too much traffic, where we might have to slow down like heaven. We do not want to stop because starting again would just take ages. Like there's no acceleration. Once you get up to about 60, it's all right, but there's no like low acceleration in this car. But inevitably with a road trip, you need to stop. And so we pull in at Macca's because Macca's is the savior of any family on a road trip, like park, coffee, uh, toilets, all of that stuff. But we stopped off at Bulls. Like, and you know, uh, McDonald's in Bulls, like, it's on the northbound side. And so we're going south and we turn off into, into Macca's. And we know that this is going to be treacherous coming back out. We're sat next to the Highway 1 and I see a gap. I'm like, we're going for this. And so we turn right out of there, like, like across the highway. And there's this truck coming. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> It just doesn't. And this truck's bearing down on us. and like screams in the back. Ah, we're going to die. And so like we pull into like the central reservation, straight back into the car park, around the back of the mobile garage. And we're back in the mo- in the space we were about 10 seconds earlier. Except this time, like heart rates are so high. We're just like, we are alive. So great. So we waited for a much bigger space in the traffic and we very gently pull out and just pray all the way home. Like there was such a relief when we got to Waikanae and we knew that if all else failed, we could ditch the car at that point and get the train home. Like it was, it was so bad. It turned out the turbo had gone in our car, but I didn't know that because I don't know anything about cars. But at that point, however much you love adventure, your sense of adventure has gone. Okay. You're not even looking around anymore. You're not enjoying the scenery. You're just like, your whole world is sort of within this car, hoping and praying that it works. Suddenly you find yourself envious of every other road person that has a fully functioning car. Like, you despise them. Like, you lucky people. I can't believe you have a working car. You want to know what it's like for us, you know? It doesn't matter how much I love this country and want to explore. I just want to go home. The reason is because our experience of the journey is inextricably linked to our trust in the vehicle that we are in. And I had lost all faith in this stupid German car. I just wanted to get rid of it. Okay, love German cars, but just not in New Zealand. And so, and and, and I think life is a lot like that. I think our desire to go on adventure, I think our perception of challenges, I think how we see what goes on in our lives, I think how much we look at other people and wonder if the grass is greener on the other side, the the way we get maybe nostalgic about how life used to be, maybe before we, we followed Jesus, I think all of our willingness to follow Jesus and go wherever he would lead us on this adventure of faith, all of that is inextricably linked to how, whether you trust 
trust him as the vehicle you're traveling in. And to a, to a community like this letter Hebrews is written to, who are being persecuted, who are struggling, who are envious of the old religion that they have left behind and, and, and where they started off well are now unwilling to go on any sort of adventure, this exhortation, this letter of Hebrews comes to them and the message we get to today is this resounding word. Brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider, Jesus. Consider Jesus. Lost your sense of adventure? Consider Jesus. Struggling? Consider Jesus. Got a wrong perception of challenges that are going on? Consider Jesus. This is no sort of ordinary word. It means to fix your thoughts on. It means to hold in your memory. Consider Jesus. It's a, it's a word that is used by Luke in, in Acts chapter 7 to describe what happened in Exodus 3. You with me? It's a bit of a, like a jump through scripture. But anyway, Moses is in the desert in Exodus 3 and and he comes across this bush that is burning and as he looks at it, he's like, that bush is burning but it's not burning up. And so he draws near to it. Exodus 3 records that it was remarkable. That it like captured his attention. That that it, it, it stirred his imagination. And so he draws near and he stares at it. This is not like flipping through Instagram, you know, just like boring, seen that before, don't care what you had for dinner last night, you, you, you tell me every day, you know, like just keeping scrolling, keep on scrolling. This is like, whoa, like everything else in life stops right now. I'm going to draw near to this remarkable sight and gaze, captivating. And it's that word that, that, that Luke uses to describe that scene that our writer of Hebrews uses as well. Consider Jesus. You know, we're a church community that mentions Jesus all the time. I heard it. I just said Jesus. That's very New Zealand. Like I never used to pronounce it that way, him that way. Anyway, consider Jesus. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever find, you know, we, we talk about him a lot, but do you ever find yourself going, oh, him again, tell us something new. Tell us something we haven't heard before. I can't believe we're talking about Jesus again. And yet what I think this writer of Hebrews says is, don't, don't go too far. Don't, don't think like there's more to discover elsewhere, but what, consider Jesus. Park there. Dig deep there. Consider Jesus. And the thing is, this isn't just some sort of vain thing of consider Jesus generally. He has a specific agenda here. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's household. The writer takes a little bit of a, a segue. He says, hey, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful. In the, in the Greek, verse 1 and verse 2, I might read it like this. Consider Jesus, he was faithful. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Fix your thoughts on the one who has a proven track record. Consider him. Fix your thoughts on him. Trust in his faithfulness. And so to this community, they're like, well, well, how do we know what Jesus' faithfulness is like? Okay, so this writer goes, I'm going to tie that, 
this consideration of Jesus to like the most faithful person you know. Who do you know really, really well? Okay, you used to be Jews. You know Moses really well. Okay, they're not just familiar with Moses. He's like a hero for them. They knew him through and through. And so he says, I'm going to take Moses as an example. I'm going to say Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him, the one who called him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. If you back up just slightly in verse 1, the apostle and high priest of our confession speaks of Jesus. Okay, The apostle, one sent from God, and high priest, the one in the Jewish community that was to represent the people before God. Do you get that? So it goes both ways. An apostle sent from God and a high priest, the one who represents the people before God. They go both ways. Jesus does both of those things. And in the Old Testament, you had apostles. Sort of, They weren't called apostles, but like messengers from God, people sent from God. And you also had high priests presented sacrifices and offerings and they, they mediated between the people and God. And it was super rare that you would ever find somebody who was both a high priest and somebody who was an apostle. But guess who fills both roles in the Old Testament? Moses. Moses did both. He, he, he interceded before God. He pleaded before God for the people. But he, also, he, also, he was also the one that God gave the law to. He was also the one who, who God gave the, the, the specifications for the temple for, for, for them to build. He went both ways. He did both. He is both. And, and so what the writer does is he says, just as Moses was faithful in all God's household, so Jesus is faithful and when we talk about the house here, we're not talking about the building. We're actually talking about the inhabitants. It's like Moses was faithful in all God's household. In other words, he was faithful in leading the people. And I think Moses, I don't know this, but I think Moses was probably the most faithful person they knew. Like, Think of it this way. When you look at Israel's history and you read about Moses' leadership of Israel, here's what you find. Chapter after chapter after chapter, the people grumbled, the people grumbled, the people grumbled. Like, This is not a great community to lead. And one particular time that I think shows Moses' faithfulness like more than any other is he goes up on the mountain, God descends in a cloud, and Moses goes 40 days anything. And God writes the law on stone tablets. He said, Moses, here's the way my people are to follow me. Here's how they are to live as representatives of me on earth. Go and tell them. So Moses, after 40 days, comes down the mountain with these tablets. And what does he find? He finds the people. They've made this golden calf and they're bowing down and worshipping. He like tears his hair out. Like me at that point, like if, I, if that was me and you, I'd be like, I'm off. <laughs> too hard. I'm not going anywhere, but too hard. What was Moses' response? He fell down before God and fasted for another 40 days and 40 nights, pleading, God, I know you just want to get rid of this people, but please don't. Be merciful, God. Can you believe that? He fasted another 40 days and 40 nights. That is how faithful Moses was in leading God's people. And this writer of Hebrews says, you want to know how faithful Jesus is? Just as Moses was faithful in all God's household, just as he was so faithful in leading you, despite your ignorance and your rebellion, so Jesus is faithful. But then read on. Verse 3 says, For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory. Not the same, but more glory than Moses. Now every house is built by someone. 
But the one who built everything is God. The writer uses this example here of a house. And he says, a house just gets built. But the builder imagined it, designed it, paid for it, constructed it, finished the job to a high specification. Who's worthy of more glory? What is worthy of more glory, the house or the builder? Well, Moses was, was a leader, but he was part of the house because the house refers to the people, the, the inhabitants of God's household. And Moses was one of the people. But it was God who called Abraham. It was God who delivered Israel out of slavery. It was God who brought them into the promised land. It was God who built the people. And and, and then step back from that, not only did God build the house and is therefore worthy of more honor, but God actually built everything. And remember how Hebrews sorts of ties together. It, it links, it's this seamless argument. And so when we go back to Hebrews 1, we remember that actually it was, it was God that created everything through an agent, through his son, through Jesus. Do you want to know about the house and the builder? Well, God created everything. He did it through Jesus and therefore Jesus is the builder who is more worthy, worthy of more glory than the one who is just part of the house, Moses. And it says here that, that Moses was, he was faithful as a servant. You know, God communicated the law to Moses so that the people would know how to live. And then Moses was to show the people what that actually looked like. Moses was the one who came back with the, the specifications for the tabernacle, which enabled them to worship, enabled the priests to, 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 to present sacrifices so that people would be forgiven. Like this, is a, this is an incredible thing that, that Moses was a part of serving in the household. But these things, it says here, were God, Moses' serv, service was as a testimony to what God would say in future. It was a powerful testimony of the one who would come, who was even more faithful. See, Jesus didn't come and give us the law. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. Jesus didn't give us a temple for worship where sacrifices could be presented. Jesus became the sacrifice on our behalf. He became the ultimate expression of all of those sacrifices. He didn't give us the the priesthood to come before God on our behalf. He blazes this trail of salvation for us so that we follow and come into the presence of God for ourselves. He is worthy of more honor. And, And so when it talks about that Moses was a servant, This is how he then describes Jesus. Verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son, not a servant, household. And if he's the son, he's also the heir. I want to imagine something today, and that is that if Jesus is the one who is the son over the house, and he's therefore the heir and the one who inherits the house, I want you to imagine with me, okay? I love playing a game sometimes, which is, if you could have a house anywhere in the world, where would it be? It's too hard to choose, so I give people like the option, like, choose three places. Like, where would you have three houses? You know, one in the mountains, one by a lake or something, you know, whatever. I want you to imagine, though, that somebody says to you, like the richest person in the world comes to you and they say, hey, I want to um, include you in my will. I don't want to give you money and stuff like that. I'm going to let you inherit a house, but you get to build it. Okay, you get to decide where it is. Okay, you get to design it. You get to imagine it. And and this richest person in the world says, and I'll pay for it. I'll foot the bill and that house will be your inheritance. That will be what you get in my will. Well, 
what would you do? Like, what would you do with that money? Okay, what land would you buy? Like, surely we'd buy an island. Like, I don't want, we don't want to live near anybody else. Let's buy an island. Okay, imagine the design. Imagine the grandeur, like no expense spared. Like you'd blatantly have a boat launch, okay? You'd blame resources. Imagine what you'd have. But then because you're going to inherit it, okay? You're going to stay like over the whole process. You're going to make sure everything's done just as you want it. You're going to oversee the whole project. But you're going to be involved in the intricate details because you care about it. And you're going to be faithful to make sure that it's built because you want to see it finished. Like they're paying, so you want to make sure it's finished. And then you're going to protect it. And you're going to make sure that it gets there. Why? Because you're going to inherit it. So you want to make sure it's protected. You want to make sure that nobody affects it. You want to make sure that nobody diminishes your inheritance. Well, Jesus is building a house. And it is built to the highest specifications. It cost the highest price. And he is giving it the highest attention of care possible. Why? Because it's his inheritance. He's the son over the house and he inherits the house and therefore he wants to make sure that his inheritance is a good one. But his house isn't a house of bricks and mortar. It is a house of flesh and blood. It is a house that is the people of God. It is a house, to the highest specifications, it is a house being transformed into the very image of God. It is a house that costs the blood of the one and only. He will see through to completion. He's guarding it and he's protecting it and he's loving it. Why? Because he's going to inherit it one day. It's going to be his house forever. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? And we are that household. We're that house. We're that house that cost more than anything. The richest person on the earth, the wealth of all the universe could not compare to the price that was paid for that house. And he's building it and he's finishing it and he's perfecting it and he's paid for it. And we are that house. Because we're the people of God if, if we hold to the confidence and the hope in which we boast. Jesus followers on our journey through life. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't look over the fence. Don't drive through life wondering if that car's better. (laughs) Don't worry about whether life was better in some ways before following Jesus. Hold. We are that household if we hold to the confidence and the hope in which we're supposed to be humble. But I think the message of scripture is if you're going to boast, boast about that which is the very best. That word boast also means take pride in show off about, be loud and boisterous about that which is the best. What are we to boast about? The confidence and the hope. What's the confidence we have? That we have been made right with God, that every single one of our sins and errors and wrong has been washed away simply by believing in Jesus, that he died for us. And our hope is, 
is that because of that, there is an eternal destiny of relationship with God forever and ever and ever. That's our hope. And that is our confidence. That, as the people of God, is what we are to boast about. But what if that's not where we're at? You know, you know, what if life's hard right now? What if you have been looking over your shoulder like, man, it was just easy when I didn't follow Jesus. What if that's where you're at? Do you look in the mirror and give yourself a pep talk? Be more confident. Come on. Confidence. Come on. I'm going to, I'm going to just think positive, confident thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to be more hopeful. No. Because what was the advice to these Hebrews who were just shot to pieces right now? He says, the writer says, no, 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 no. What you have now in Jesus is better by far than anything you have left behind. What does he tell them to do? Consider Jesus. Don't try and be more confident. Don't try and be more hopeful. Consider Jesus. And as you do, you're going to find your confidence come back. You're going to find your hope restored. You see, we didn't stick with that German car for much longer. We bought a new one, new to us. And as we drove it, we realized it went up hills. And we realized that it pulled out on trucks and could accelerate faster than trucks. And so it was much safer than the German car we had before. I didn't tell myself to be more confident. I didn't tell myself to be more hopeful. I didn't tell myself, come on, you know, be more confident. Let's go out on adventures. But as I considered this car and the fact that it was trustworthy, the fact that it was reliable, suddenly when Jenny said, should we go to the coast this year? I'm like, do you know what? Yeah, I fancy that again. Because I'm confident in the vehicle that is going to take us there. If you need more confidence, if you are lacking hope, don't try and find it within yourself, but look around you at the one who is carrying you. Consider, fix your thoughts on, fix your mind on Jesus. I've been thinking, what does that look like for us? First, uh, when I wasn't considering Jesus, but like he filled my thoughts day in, day out. Do you know what I, I was doing at the time? I'd, I'd got this crazy idea that I could learn he, Ephesians. I'd heard of somebody trying to learn Ephesians, and I'm like, I could probably do that. And so I'd, look, like, I'd take the first three verses, and I'd just read and read and read, and I'd write it on post-its and put it in my suit pocket, I, so that when I was at work, maybe in the lift, I, I'd pick it out, and I'd, oh man, I'm reminded of Jesus again, and I'm just, I'm just learning it verse by verse. And I got like three or four chapters through, I could recite it like that. But do you know what it did? It wasn't me trying to fix my thoughts on Jesus. As I put the word of God into my heart and into my mind, do you know what happened? It fixed my thoughts on him. I'd be making a cup of tea and I'd be thinking about Jesus. I'd be in the shower and there'd be this insight of what, of, of something that Jesus had done for me. I'd be running and suddenly I'm like, wow, I never saw that about Jesus. Because as I invested scripture into my heart and into my life, it fixed my thoughts on him. There was this new revelation. My vision of God expanded because of that investment. You might say to me, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can actually train your brain to do that. I found that I was really, really bad at memorizing scripture. But as I began to do it, my brain got better at it. Start. This sounds really boring and old-fashioned. Can I say, start memorizing scripture. Just pick verses and write them and write them and write them. And it will fix your thoughts on Jesus. 
There's another thing that I've started doing. I was considering, how am I going to do this? What am I going to share with you today? And a couple of weeks ago, when I began to look at this, I, I, I picked up Harvey's book. And there are copies available today. The, the Sacrifice and Glory uh, book. There's like a 365 daily devotion in Hebrews. And I thought, if this book is about Jesus, the better way, then, then what better way than to get deep in that book? So I'm just going to, every day, as part of my devotion, it's going to take me two minutes. I'm going to read some of that devotion every single day. I've only just started, so I can't really tell you how that journey's going. But do something. But here's the other thing I want you to see. We so easily turn this verse into this. And I am part of that household if I hold on to my confidence and the hope in which I boast. It's not what it says. But we're really good at that in the Western world. We're really good at turning this into it's all about me and what I do. Do you notice it says, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. This Hebrews writer has observed this church community struggling. So what does he do? He doesn't say, you need to do better. He comes alongside them and he says, we're that household. He writes the most encouraging, the most, we're that household. So hold to the confidence and the hope in which we boast. Can I say, you cannot do church alone. You can worship out in the hills with your iPod. You can do that. That's cool. But that's not church. That's worship, that's personal, that's cultivating a relationship with God. Awesome. But you cannot do church alone. We're a building, not a brick. We're a building. Every single person here is a part of the church, part of the building, part of the body. So take church community seriously. If you're standing on the fringes of church community, stop it. There is this invitation to get involved. Get involved in a life group. Get involved in serving. Can I, can I say, take these moments seriously. Don't just turn up to church and get your fix. Don't just stroll in. I realize there are reasons for people being late sometimes. But can I say, don't stroll in at 10.15 and, and be a part of the worship and then, and, and, and then just like listen to the message and go, cool, that was great for me, and walk out. Do you know why being devotionally devoted to God is so important? It's not just for you. It's so that when you are with other believers, you can be an incredible encouragement to them. You can say, do you know what I've learned about Jesus this week? As I've been memorizing scripture, man, I was so blessed by this. I want to get alongside you and I want to encourage you today. Why? Because all of us do. And you know, there, there are times when I am low. And I need somebody to come alongside me and say, remember the confidence in the hope in which we boast. So we've got to see church community differently. You know, come with something to share. And if you don't have something to share, come anyway. If you're, if you're on a massive high with God, come. If you're on a massive low and you're struggling, come. Because we want to get around you and remind you and help you consider Jesus together. I think this matters. My time's well up. We've got time, though. I think this matters. It matters because life happens. And, and, and I've got friends who work in town, and, and many of you are in secular jobs, where life's getting harder to follow Jesus. It's harder to speak up about the faith that we have, even though we know we must, because people need to hear this message we need to be a church community that encourages one another along because there will be times when some of us begin to lose jobs 
because of our belief in Jesus. Those days may well come in this country. We need to be a church that reminds each other and helps each other consider Jesus more than ever. It's important because we have a mission to share this story of Jesus. We don't have a hope. What on earth are we sharing? Why would I want your faith? You don't, you're struggling with it yourself. Oh no, no. You know, life's hard. But I got this confidence and this hope and I can't stop speaking about it. I want us to be a church community that gather and consider Jesus and, and, and the, our vision of him so grows, our love for him so overflows that we spill out of here on a Sunday and we spill out of life groups on the, in the week and we spill out of any time we gather together having considered Jesus and we can't wait to share him with people around us. But you know, the final reason I think this is so, so, so important is because we're on an adventure of faith. And I believe God wants to do something in the eastern suburbs that not one of us can even conceive. I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what God wants to do in this area. I'm staggered time after time when somebody wants to share a prophetic word with me about what God's going to do in this area. And we will, we will not be prepared for that journey if we do not have a depth of trust in the one who is leading and the one who is carrying us into those places. So we've got to gather and consider Jesus together. Otherwise, we won't be ready. Otherwise, when Jesus says, do you want to turn off here? Should we go and explore this area and be like, whoa, no, 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 I'm wanting to go home right now. But if we understand who he is, we'll go, Jesus, where next? Wherever, whenever, I want to follow you. Because there is nowhere more trustworthy, nowhere more dependable than you. And wherever you go, we'll go. Should we stand? We're going to respond this morning. Ship does. We sing words together. It's not singing songs, it's worship. We, we, we have these words of songs that help us together as a community to, to consider Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we want to thank you so much for Scripture. We want to thank you for your word. And Lord, as we worship now, Lord, we, we want to fix our thoughts on you. We want to consider you, as Jamie's been telling us all morning, we want our vision of Jesus to grow. I pray for those of us this morning, God, who are struggling. Lord God, encourage us today as we consider Jesus together. For those checking out of adventure, Lord, would our dependency on you grow? Would we see that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you are building the most expensive, the most incredible house, and we're that house. <laughs> Help us to hold to that confidence and that hope. And right now, maybe if you're in this space and you say, I, I've never come to that moment of believing in Jesus, but right now you say, I want to put my confidence in Him. I want to put my hope in Him. I want to know confidently that my sins are forgiven, that my error has been washed away, that I am in relationship, that I am hoping for, where I will be with Him forever. And therefore today I want to believe in Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you love me so much that you died in my place. Today I believe in you. I ask you that you would forgive me. I ask you that by your Spirit that you would give me confidence in my relationship with you, secured by the fact that you, be, you died for me. 
And I thank you, God, that there is a hope of eternal life because of this confidence. Help me to hold to it. Thank you for giving me a church community to help me learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. I give my life to you in Jesus' name today. In your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, (laughs) we'd love to meet you. And we'd love to help you and show you what it looks like to begin following Jesus right now, church. Let us turn our attention to him and worship and consider him in song.